Welcome to today's episode of Building Builders, a podcast made for contractors. In this episode, we are joined by Jennifer Todd to talk about the benefits of having a law degree in construction, some of the best law advice for new contractors, and her journey from administration to CEO in construction. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Jennifer, awesome to have you here. Welcome to the Building Builders podcast. Um, excited to uh, be chatting with yourself today. Um, would uh, you know? You know, love to learn more about you. And just uh, yeah, welcome. Thank you for having me, <laughs> uh, Jennifer. You've got a super impressive background, uh, starting a, uh, uh, as a construction admin, and you know, moving into being a, a founder and president at uh, LMS Contractors. Uh, you also graduated uh, from law school while starting the business, which is really, really interesting. I, I want to dive in more there. Um, can you tell us just a little bit about your story and and you know how this has all come to be? Sure. I think you did a great summation, but I'll, I'll chime in and say <laughs> that I definitely um, had no plans of joining the construction field and it just really happened. Uh, for me, I just transitioned out of college and I said, I need a job. Started off at working for a demolition firm and just fell in love with it. And 15 years later, I'm still here. Uh, so it, it's been definitely a wild ride, but I have absolutely no regrets. Tell me about the transition from uh, uh, working uh, at a construction company to, you know, being a founder and president. Um, it, uh, surely that was a, um, a, you know, a pretty big intentional uh, step, I would imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it wasn't really my choice initially. I was living in Los Angeles and really wanted to grow within my career, and I started seeking out employment with various companies across the Los Angeles area. And what I found was that there wasn't anyone who looked like me age-wise, race-wise, being a woman. It was just very few people in the roles that I attempted to do. And so my husband was like, why don't you just do your own business? And I was just like, how am I going to do that? (laughs) He's just like, you already have a company. Just just do it. And so um, after like interviewing with like seven different companies and they basically said like, yeah, we'll hire you, but not for the position that you want. You really have to grow into that position or, you know, you're not, you need more training and this and that. And it's just like, I already know it. So why, why would I need to start at a lower level versus just starting with what I know? So I really just kind of, it kind of just forced my hand to just say, hey, let me just do my own thing and see what happens. And if nothing else, I can always go and, and make the transition to go back to working for someone else. And uh, let's see, we're almost at 10 years now. And so that hasn't happened wow. yet. So. Um, <clears throat> I hear this from so many entrepreneurs and, you know, even myself in the past that the biggest hurdle, you know, I, I personally think is just getting started. <laughs> you, you know, you'll, You'll never be 100% prepared. Um, you know, there's always going to be some kind of surprise, but it's kind of just getting over that hurdle and actually going for it, getting that first customer. Yeah. All the research that you can do, all the books, all the tutelage and mentorship, it means nothing because there are going to be so many questions that come along the way that you're not going to even think to answer until you right. start. 
<laughs> so you have to start mm-hmm. to even know what you think the problem is, <clears throat> is not even the problem. It's like everything that happens after you start of, you know, how do you hire people? How do you fire people? How do you get working capital? Uh, how do you identify what your skill sets are, what your weaknesses are, and, you know, who your client is? So uh, none yeah. of that can be discovered until you actually start doing the work. <laughs> So tell me more about uh, LMS. What what do you guys do? We do demolition and environmental services. So we do everything with asbestos, lead, mold, COVID-19. And uh, mm-hmm. a lot of our work is with public agencies over the years. The last couple of years since COVID has kind of transitioned to more private clientele, but we still do a yep. lot of public and federal work. And we're right. talking like hotels, schools, um, uh, state agencies, federal agencies, and things like that. What, what type of equipment are you uh, using for these projects? I wish I was using yours. You should just be. You should just come <laughs> on and bring it down to Florida. Uh, but a lot of what we we're dealing with, like uh, you know, bobcats and excavators, uh, primarily is our our go to machines. Gotcha. Um, do you get into like high reaches as well? It depends. Um, we do for some asbestos work. Yeah, we do high reach machines. Nice. Um, I love those machines. They're, they're so impressive. <laughs> um, yeah, just capable of so much. Um, so I only I know how to you, operate a skitzer. That's as that's as good as I've got. Oh, really? Yeah, that's it. So. Wield or track machine? The wield. So, yeah, so, yeah. So that, that's as good as it's gotten for me so far but i guess if i spend more time with it then i could i could put that on my resume too one of these days equipment operator the more we uh we work in florida the more we learn that uh wheeled skid steers are not the norm there's there's uh, uh compact track loaders everywhere uh but less and less wheeled skid steers up here in ontario wheeled skid steers are everywhere uh people use them for snow removal but yeah i'm guessing yeah. it's probably you sink we in the do sand some dirt or something work too so uh we do some site work so yeah awesome um so tell what's me more about uh i was gonna ask you what's your favorite machine oh boy um that is such a good uh, question uh hmm that is such a good question. It's either uh, an excavator, like a midsize, somewhere between uh, like an eight ton and a 20 ton excavator with a um, uh, hydraulic rotating uh, bucket. Mm-hmm. Or uh, I actually really like a, a three yard articulating wheel loader. Um, I used to drive those a lot when we were uh, snow plowing. Um, so yeah, nice. they're just really comfortable and tons and tons of power. Um, the power matches the size of the machine really well. Uh, yeah. And that feels like an extension. That a man would ever love. No man would ever love that. So yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so tell me more about, uh, going to law school, um, you know, while, uh, while starting a company that's so interesting. Um, how, uh, how did you make that decision? It was really a decision that I kind of made uh, even before I started LMS. Uh, initially, I thought that I was going to go to law school, and I actually did. While living in Los Angeles, I went and did my 1L, and it just the focus just wasn't there. Uh, I had too much going on. There were just too many responsibilities and obligations I had at the time, and so I actually dropped out. And when I decided to start LMS, 
I said, mm-hmm. okay, if I'm going to do it, I've got to do it now. Because as a woman in the industry, as a minority in the industry, I mean, as a small business, there are many, so many upheavals that you deal with in the industry. And people don't realize how litigious construction can be, especially mm-hmm. when you're talking about New York or California. Those are super, super heavy. Uh, they have so many regulations. And so I just made the commitment. I saw the treatment that small businesses got and minority businesses received, not having proper counsel. Uh, when you're talking about doing a job, you've got people on the job, you're losing money. <laughs> so you don't have time right. to go and hire a lawyer and say, hey, let me brief you on what's going on out here because you you don't want to get hit with liquidated damages. You know, you're talking wasted payroll. I've seen right. all these things. And so- I didn't want to be that statistic. And so for me, it was just imperative. It was a no brainer. Like, Hey, if you're going to start a business, you have to protect yourself. And I made the decision to uh, attend law school. Yeah, that's awesome. Where, where do you think it comes in the most? Is it, uh, um, like in the, in the estimating, is it in, uh, you know, reducing liability, uh, you know, on the job sites, uh, what, what is the, what is the highest impact, uh, area? I would say it's everywhere because anytime that you are working on your business, uh, you need to be thinking from a strategic standpoint. And the best thing that law school really did for me was take out the emotion. Uh, when you start a right. business, this, this is your baby. <laughs> this is your child. You're nurturing it from birth and to see it grow. And we can make a lot of mistakes when we are thinking from an emotional standpoint or if we're taking things uh, right. as a personal attack or an offense. <clears throat> towards us or our business. And going to law school just allowed me to kind of take myself out of the equation and make it so that when I'm working with people, I'm thinking about, yes, my best interest, of course, but I'm also thinking about what's fair and how can we uh, ensure that everyone is safe? How can we ensure that, you know, the contract terms meet? How can we ensure that we have the best safety and that the employees are feeling heard and, and their contracts are reflective of the work that they're doing? So there's so many aspects that it comes into. I mean, even bidding the project, making sure that you understand the scope of which you are responsible for completing. There, there's so many aspects that uh, my law degree has helped me in. And so I, I have no complaints. Would you say this is a, a, a competitive advantage uh, for yourself and for LMS? Uh, yeah, this degree? I, yeah. I definitely would say there is a competitive advantage to having a law degree. Uh, one, people are more inclined to pay you on time because. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then two, it's like <laughs> no one wants to fight with someone when it's like, I am my own in-house counsel. If it, worst case scenario, if I had to go and hire someone, I could still do the work and they would just stamp their name on it. It's like, do you really want to spend the money going to court? For that, uh, the good thing about it is we've not had those issues. We have great relationships with our clients and our GCs, and so that, knock on wood, has not occurred at this time. We we talk to all kinds of entrepreneurs on here, and uh, you know, some big, some small, some just didn't start it out. Uh, and uh, what would your advice be uh, to those starting out? Should they? immediately run out and, you know, hire, uh, you know, counsel when they're, you know, reading through contracts and, uh, you know, estimating jobs. Uh, at, at what point should they, they start to bring, uh, you know, legal into, uh, into their business? 
Well, the first step that I would say, if you are starting out as a construction business, whether it's just you, your wife, your husband, whomever, the first thing you want to do is make sure that you are incorporated correctly in something that best suits you. And LLC is not for everyone. So I know it's just a catch all phrase and everyone starts that way. And in fact, I started that way and it was a mistake once I understood the taxation laws and what was most beneficial to me being a construction company, it wasn't an LLC. The second thing is that, of course, you want to have someone look over your contracts or look over the bidding documents so that you understand what you're looking at. So even if you have a contract and you just pay an attorney just once to give you like a boilerplate contract that you can use to ensure that you're covered, that's better than not having anything at all. <clears throat> Any uh, recommendations for uh, um, you know a, a younger first-time contractor when they're when they're going out uh, and retaining a lawyer? Is there uh, sort of any inter- interview questions that they should they should be asking? Um, you know, kind of building that trust. Yeah, uh, not uh, lawyers are not one size fit all, and so you definitely want someone who understands construction law and contract law because uh, construction and contracts are a niche field. And so you want someone who understands the business so that they can better educate you on what you may need to add or may need to ask or may need to delete or what's in your best interest when you are, you know, doing business for the first time. Because when you are starting off, you just want a contract. You don't even think about like all the things that kind of can go wrong. And most of the time you get a contract, the first contract sucks. <laughs> it's not right. good. It's too cheap. And you yeah. just want to, you just want to get out there. And then you get in there and you're like, what was I thinking? <laughs> it's not good. And yeah. that's definitely the worst feeling that you could have is going to on a job every day that you absolutely hate or that you feel that you have been undervalued. It's everything will just be, it'll just be a catastrophe from, from beginning to end. So, yeah. But then if it's your first job, you have to get out there and you, you just absolutely have to crush it and make it your best portfolio project. There's a happy medium, but that right. goes into doing your due diligence and there there's no lawyer required for that. If you are starting a business or thinking about starting a business, you should already be in the mode of doing historical data. And that is basically researching what the comps are for your area, for your business. Are they doing public work, private work? And what are the going rates? What are the equipment rates? What are the prevailing wage labor rates, if applicable? So that you can understand how much money do I need to really get started? And also, what are the jobs going for? I mean, it's especially if you're doing public works, that information is free. On the internet, Mm -hmm. anyone can look it up. But people, I'm, I always am surprised that people don't do it. <laughs> Just, right. you know, uh, that cuts the competition right there. Look at what your potential competitors are doing the work for so that you can kind of work it into your estimate to see, hey, this is where I need to be. Or can I afford to do this or can I not afford to do this job? Um, I think that touches on my next question a little bit here. Uh, so, you know, you started as a, an engineer, um, you've made it to a CEO of a successful company. Are there any, um, you know, skills required, uh, you know, to sort of bridge that gap? Yeah, when it came to becoming uh, an engineer, it was really just making the transition of doing all the jobs. I went from admin to doing uh 
project coordinator, PM work. I worked on the site and then I really found the love for estimating. So uh, understanding uh, the complexity of the job, understanding how many loads you need, how much diesel uh, you need, how many you know hauls that's going to be. All of those things come into play when you for demolition, because those are the engineering aspects of how the job is going to get done. So right. you can either take two paths. You can do on the job training and learn those skill sets, or you can go to college and get a certification to do it and sit for an exam. All of my training is on the job training. And so my, right. my background degree was in psychology. So my bachelor's was in psychology and minored in business. And so really it was just looking at the guys in the office. Once I saw them fail the test, I was like, Phew. He's not that smart. I can do it. So that was that was really the motivation that I had when I saw the other people that I had here in my mind. I'm like, oh, gosh, she's so smart. And then when I saw them pulling their hair out, trying to pass the exam, I was like, let me see this book. And see, let, me, let me study for this test and see if I can do it. And, and I did it. So. Uh, a psychology degree probably comes <laughs> comes in handy with running a construction company and you know um, yes. kind of understanding of other people's uh uh points of view um, oh, you know yeah. I'm thinking like myers briggs uh, uh studies <clears throat> yeah definitely so um You've you've mentioned in the past uh that you had a employer who really believed in you um can you tell us a little bit about that and, you know, what impact that had uh, on you and uh, how that's inspired you today? Yeah, definitely. I know that some people have the misconception that I hate men and I don't <laughs> just from my <laughs> post on LinkedIn. And they're like, oh, you're always getting in, all, going in on the men. I'm like, I just want to call out the injustices. But I absolutely love men and I love all of the male figures who have been a part of my career because we are in a male dominated industry. It would just, I would be remiss if I didn't say that I was able to get my start from a man. Every kind of pivotal decision in my career was with the help of a man in the industry. And when you have a person, male or female, that is supportive of your career or that kind of shines the light on you to say, Hey, these are things that you can't accomplish if you set out to do them or, or why don't you think about that? It really, really helps, you know, just personally, but also professionally. And so um, my employer was super supportive of everything that I wanted to do. He was just like, Hey, have at it. And I also think that not, not just him being a man, but working at a smaller company, you can have more attention. Versus if you're in a yeah. large company of 500, 600 people, you can't really get to know everyone and see what you need to see with every employee. You know, uh, it was a smaller company. It was about 25 people. And so, you know, if I just said, hey, can I try this? Can I try that? What do you think of this? He's like, hey, do it. <laughs> you know, right. you're, you know you're, you're a lot smarter than some of the guys that I have here. Just just try it. If it doesn't work <laughs> and you don't like it, it's okay. And so he really helped right. you more than just uh, check the boxes in my career, but really to instill the confidence in me to, to go after the things. This podcast is sponsored by Dozer, an online marketplace for heavy equipment rentals across North America. Partnering with thousands of rental houses, Dozer provides contractors with access to local suppliers, transparent pricing, mobile ordering, and an industry-leading payment option of 0% interest for 60 days. Go to dozer.com to find your next heavy equipment rental. That's D-O-Z-R dot com. Um, 
I've read the, uh, about how you have really high uh, employee retention and uh, a high percentage of uh, women employees at, uh, at LMS. Um, uh, how have your experiences uh, and your own uh, opportunity uh, impacted those numbers? I think it's a matter of this giving people the opportunity that I was given. I say that opportunity is my favorite word because someone took a bet on me with absolutely no skill sets whatsoever to do the field. And I was able to blossom within my career. And now I'm able to give back and do the same thing. And I think when you show people uh, that there is a life outside of them, of what their circumstances are and what they're able to do. And you tell people, Hey, I believe in you. I trust that you can do it. That if this is something that you want to do and you want to be able to change your life, I'm fully here to support you. That has worked way more than any safety training, any bonus, any, anything (laughs) that I've ever seen. And that's really why I started a greener tomorrow, the nonprofit because I've saw the ability to change lives and what it's done to enhance women, uh, single mothers, uh, people who uh, mm-hmm. didn't graduate college, uh, didn't attend college, you know, barely made it out of high school. Construction is just about how much you want to give of yourself to right. the business, like what you want to do. If you can show up and be on time and have a positive attitude, that will take you way more places than any special skill set that you ever have. And there's so many opportunities right. that if you don't like this particular trade, you can find another one or you can find something else within the business and still be able to stay in the construction industry. Tell me a little more about uh, uh, Greener Tomorrow. Uh, sounds really interesting. Yes. A Greener Tomorrow is my new baby. And so yeah. uh, it started some years ago within LMS. And basically we were doing a lot of housing project uh projects basically. And so when you're doing that, they have a thing that's called uh, section three. And so those are the residents that reside on the properties as part of the contract through HUD, you're responsible for hiring residents. And what we saw across the country was that no one was hiring the residents because they're primarily women. And so we said, Hey, uh, we will hire them. And they're like, but you guys do asbestos abatement. What are the women going to do? We're going to like, they're going to do asbestos abatement and they're going to do demolition. And the women, we hired men and women, excuse me, we hired men and women and the women showed up and Mm -hmm. they showed up because they had responsibilities. They had children and they have daycare and, you know, they are the head of their household. Whereas the men who were the same age, they were single. <laughs> they didn't have any children right. or they lived with their parents. And so there was no pressure to get it done. And uh, like I said, they've stayed in this industry. Uh, they were popping floor tile. We're not talking about just sweeping. We're, we're talking about actually like popping floor tile and mastic. They are removing drywall. They're pushing wheelbarrows. They're doing all of the hard stuff. And what I wanted to be able to do now is to really help more people uh, with equipment, with operating and with demolition and asbestos and just hire more people and, and present opportunities for everyone. If, if you're interested, mm. hey, we want to help you. Um, 
super cool. Really glad that you're uh, uh, doing this and like love learning about it. Um, so, you know, I think there's a, a general message that the industry can be uh, changed for the better. Um, what, what action items should be taken to foster diversity and inclusion in construction? Kevin, I don't want to get on my soapbox today, but <laughs> you are going to insist that I do. <laughs> there are a few things that can be done. Yeah. The first thing that I tell people and companies about change is one, being open to change and acknowledging that there are problems. And the problem fundamentally that people have when it comes to talking about diversity and why it makes them feel uncomfortable is a lot of times they don't resonate with it. Like, I've mm -hmm. never experienced that, so therefore it doesn't exist. Or because I've never experienced that, I don't know what it feels like, so I don't know what all the fuss is about. And right. so when you are, we all have privileges in life, but when you specifically, when you're talking about diversity and inclusion and you have the privilege of being a white male in a white male dominated industry, there are a lot of things that just go over your head because it's not, it's just not the norm. It's like, right. Kevin, when is the last time that you have been the only person that looks like you at a business meeting or at a job site that you've delivered equipment to you? The only white male there, and you're like, oh, this is strange. Uh, with the exception of being a great big bald guy. No, I mean, that, that doesn't happen, of course. Exactly. No. And so there, there are things that even if you are, are not, you know, trying to be biased, it's just that it doesn't happen. And so it's not on your radar. And so what we've done the last couple of years is just kind of putting it out there and put it on, on people's radar that there are things that exist. I am a millennial and I have been called an extensive amount of racial slurs. I've been called more racial slurs than sexist slurs. I'll say that, <laughs> you, know, wow. I, I, you know, and that's terrible. And for the fact that we are in you know, the 2000s, I've only been in the industry 15 years and I've experienced a great deal of that. So just acknowledging that there is a disparity. And the second thing is being honest about the demographics, when especially in America, is that uh, the demographics have changed. And so the industry needs to represent all of the people in this country and in Canada about what it looks like. And unfortunately, uh, it's we've been to our own demise by catering to one target group of people. Now we have a humongous labor shortage of only, you know, over 1 million people here in the States and mm -hmm. the marketing still sucks. You know, uh, right. you're still seeing women, you're still seeing minorities that don't know that there is a space for them within the industry. Secondly, I would say that people, uh, especially leaders and business owners, they need to talk to their employees. Why go outside and try to think of all these things? Why don't you go to the people who work for you? And even if it's an anonymous poll to ask, for what sure. are we getting wrong? What can we do? What can we enhance? And are you feeling included? Because people need their jobs. They're not going to say, yeah, it's, it's a little racist. It's a little sexist here. You know, we could do better. They're not going to say that <laughs> because no one wants to be fired. So creating a safe space to uh, make an inclusive culture, workplace culture for everyone who is there, you know, creating activities. One of the big things is everyone doesn't know how to ski shoot and that's not a thing. Everyone doesn't play golf. And so making activities that are just not catering to a certain demographic and making them inclusive, something as small as that makes 
you know, builds camaraderie, builds employer satisfaction. And thirdly, it's to just do it, even if it's wrong, even if you don't get it right, just try, try and see what will work and go from there. Uh, Companies are so afraid uh, of the optics of getting it wrong that they just refuse to do anything. Versus right. saying, you know, well, that didn't work. Let's just go and try something else. But if you're talking to your employees or even if you're hiring a consultant to come in and help you uh, navigate the situation, you really wouldn't have to worry about getting it wrong because they know, totally. you know, they work with your company. They work for your company. They understand the nuances and demographics. And, you know, if they can come to you or someone else to say, hey, these are the things we, we can improve upon. Kind of sounds like starting a business, the whole discussion of just get started, get your first customer, yeah. you know, just get started, try, try harder, do better. Um, yeah, yeah, I love it. I, I also love the anonymous survey uh, that you, you're talking about in the middle there. It seems so obvious. Talk to your team. Where, yeah, I think you know, how can we do better? Like, yeah. Because when we are leaders and as business owners, uh, we have a little bit of an ego. And so we think that everything we do is the best decision for the company. Or if, even if everyone's not happy, the majority of, of you are going to love this and appreciate it. And one day you'll see why I did it this way. And so uh, we, we don't always you know, make the right decisions. But if we want to keep the best people, if we want to create a safe space, For our employees, uh, we have to kind of do things differently and listen to the people who work for us and work with us because they see things that we don't see. I mean, some of the best ideas, even when it comes to doing the work itself on the job, we kind of have an open policy of if you think that we can get this done a better way, a quicker way, a more efficient way, say something. Don't, you know, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But let us know if you come up with an idea like, hey, why don't we do it this way? If it makes sense, we're going to roll with it. Right. Take the ego. At Dozier, out of we it. try and put our, um, we, tr- we try and tell people that it's, you know, almost more of an expectation. <laughs> Not only is it a safe place to put up your hand, but hey, we're doing something different than, you know, has ever been done before. We're hiring really, really bright people. We expect you to put up your hand. That's, that's why you're here. You're part of the team. Exactly. Share, please share your ingenuity so we can get this done. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, Jennifer, I kind of asked this before, but I'm going to ask uh, again. So as a, a construction company, we always like to ask people what their uh, favorite piece of equipment is. Uh, I'll, I'll hand it back over to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, we did mention it. Uh, being <laughs> that I like big machines, I'm always going to go with an excavator for sure. So if, yeah. you know, if, it's, if it's got a grapple, yeah. Yep. Um, something like that. That's that's my uh, that's the go to uh, the go to machine. And uh, equipment has come so far. So now it's just like it's it's so cool to see everything that they're doing with the heavy equipment these days. It's it's pretty. It's, it's a little late, but it's okay. We're late. We're late in the construction game, but it's better late than never. So it's pretty cool to see. Yeah, there's some amazing tech out there for sure. Um, I'm really curious, what do you think about yeah. the electric heavy equipment that's coming out? Oh, I, I'm, I'm super excited about it. <laughs> you know, I think that it's, it's early. Um, uh, I think that if I was buying equipment, uh, you know, and, and I'd love to buy equipment again someday, but um, I would want to own it, <laughs> but I would, 
I would hesitate a little bit, um, just let it uh, get out in market for a little bit longer. Um, but uh, I'm I'm definitely a supporter for sure. That uh, uh, w- when I was working in the field, you know, those a very uh, distinct uh, memory of mine is, you know, being in landscaping. Uh, that smell of diesel exhaust at about six o'clock in the morning, you know, uh, uh, it used to just make me want to throw up, like, right? Like before you've had your coffee. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I could do without that <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a supporter. It's a little bit early. It's coming. I think it's a good thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm really interested. I agree. I mean, I'm really interested to see how it, because in my mind, I'm like, how do you, how are you going to charge it on the job site? Or like, you know, what if someone forgets to charge it? That would be my thing of like, is there like any backup diesel, you know, that you can use or how would it work? Because I could just right. see someone forgetting to, you know, charge it and then, okay, there's your entire day. Like, how would that work? So we used to be in, uh, again, it was a landscaping company uh, and we did a lot of snow removal, but we also did a lot of summer maintenance and, uh, I've seen that equipment come a long, long ways, especially the uh, handheld uh, electrical uh, power tools like uh, weed eaters and leaf blowers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've started to buy some for myself personally, even though I own the, the gas stuff, I probably should sell the gas stuff. It just starts every single time. You don't have all the challenges of, uh, you know, gummed up spark plugs and old fuel <laughs> every single time you press that button it works uh, so yeah there's a charging issue there's very very expensive commercial batteries mm-hmm. um, but yeah it definitely excites me i, I would want to move in that direction <laughs> what kind of generator would you need to charge that thing like what, <laughs> what, yeah. what would you, right like a power plant in order to like, get that going so yeah so, yeah definitely yeah that would be a challenge <laughs> yeah yeah um, well, um, Jennifer, I, you know, really, really enjoyed our chat. I want to thank you for being on our Building Builders podcast. Um, for uh, our listeners, where where can they find you? Um, they are there, can find uh, social handles or yeah. on the wonderful World Wide Web, uh, LinkedIn, Jennifer Todd, MLS. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, Construction Log Gal G A L. Yeah, or you can just Google me and, and find me somewhere, you know, and don't <laughs> hesitate to reach out. Nice. Yeah. Thanks again, Jennifer. This has been really, uh, really awesome. Uh, thanks so much for having our me. Chat. Cool. Thank you. For more content, you can follow us on social media or watch all of our episodes on YouTube. We also ask that you leave a review on Apple Podcasts as it does a lot for our show and getting our message out there. All links are provided in the description of this podcast. Thank you for tuning in and we look forward to having you back for our next episode.